Welcome to the Curiosity Podcast, a show about everything e-commerce and digital business. The aim is simple, to help you thrive online. And now, your host, Matt Edmondson. Hello, my fellow e-commerce entrepreneurs. My name is Matt Edmondson, and this show is for those of us who are curious about e-commerce and want to know how to get better at doing digital business. Coming up in today's show, I get the amazing opportunity to speak with Sam Morgan. Sam heads up the website pariah.cc, and we're going to chat about raising the profile of his online business, which specializes in cycling gear. That's right. If you ride a bike, you will definitely want to check out his website. He has some amazing gear on there. Let me tell you. Check it out at pariah.cc. And if you're driving along and can't make a note of the web URL, of course, you will be able to head over to uh, the website mattedmondson.com where I'm going to put all the links and the notes from today's show. You'll definitely see them uh, online. And whilst you are there, of course, you can check out the Colab Project. If you haven't heard of the Colab Project, then I can only assume this is your first time listening to the podcast. In, ca- in which case, welcome. It's great. We've got so, we're growing quite a lot. It's a new podcast. We're getting loads more listeners every show. It's great to see the numbers. So if you are new, it's a really, really great privilege of mine to welcome you to the show. Uh, I hope you enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Uh, and if you are new, you wouldn't have heard about the Colab Project. Uh, it's worth this challenge that I'm doing of setting up 100 new e-commerce websites. Uh, and to do that, I definitely need to partner with some entrepreneurs who have some great products to sell online. So if that's you, uh, and if you want to know more, then definitely check out my website, mattedmondson.com. This show is sponsored by the amazing Curious Digital. Uh, a Curious Digital, or KD for those in the know, uh, is an experience-based e-commerce platform, and I use it to run my own e-commerce businesses here. So if you are looking for a new e-commerce platform, a new digital platform, be sure to check it out at Curious.Digital. That's Curious with a K and not a C, Curious.Digital. There's some great features which have just been released, including, I am led to believe, courses, uh, which is going to be the module I'm using on the Matt Edmondson site for the upcoming courses that are coming out, which is great news. Uh, so do check it out, especially if you're doing courses. Some good stuff there. Okay, so let me introduce to you today's guest. Like I said, I get the chance to talk with Sam Morgan. Now, Sam is so cool. I really, really enjoyed this conversation about how he set up his online business, pariah.cc. He set it up about five years ago, and he's going to share with you uh, the stuff which he has learned on the way, especially when it comes to clothing and design, you know, how to do stock management, you know, when you've got things to think about, like weather, weather seriously affecting, you know, whether people are going to buy, what fashion trends are, what brand designs are and all that sort of stuff. He is going to get into that. He's going to talk to you about how he pivoted his business to include things like streetwear and even beer. So if you've ever wanted to, you know, throw beer into your business as well, Sam tells you about that and he has definitely done it and it's great to see. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the amazing uh, Sam. Enjoy this conversation. Hey, Sam, thanks for joining us on the show. It's great to have you uh, on the podcast. No problems. Good to be here. (laughs) No problems in saying that. We've both had significant problems getting onto this recording. Uh, But by the power of persistence, we have made it. So thanks for joining us. Great to have you. Now, you run a website called pariah.cc. That is correct. That's, that's always a good start, right? Uh, so you run uh, Pryor.cc, and that specializes in cycle gear. Where did the name Pariah come from? Um, it, was, it was born out of the feeling that, um, well, maybe probably a vanity project in terms of how I sit and how I feel. I think Susan society is probably a bit hyperbolic, where I feel on a general day-to-day basis of being a social outcast, and specifically within the cycling world, where it is quite a cliquey, old-school um, environment and culture. Okay. And so that's where the name sort of came out of that? Yeah. It's, it's spelled P-A-R-I-A. I suppose there's a few things there. When you come up with a brand name, 
find something you don't have to spell to people. <laughs> Good top tip for you. At rule 101. Um, do, you find you, do, you, do you actually find you, you have to spell it to people a lot? Yes, I do. And also okay. there's a, the best pronunciation is it's Italian where it just sounds amazing. I'm not even going to try and do it because I'm not Italian. <laughs> I'm Northern. But um, the best pronunciation is uh, Italian. But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of variations and iterations out there. Okay. And why .cc? Why, why did that... Why, why did you choose that one? Just because that was the, the one available for the domain or was there something else? I'd, I would love to say something else. Like, to be fair, it, it, it was available. .com is a uh, range of mountains in Utah, which has obviously existed since Point Dot and <laughs> yeah. since Dinosaurs. So I'm probably not going to be able to usurp that, that one. Um, .co.uk had been taken already by a, a clothing company in Bristol. But .cc is like the recognized... Like cycling club, and okay. if you look at all the bigger name, um, bigger name brands, they've all got .cc, so it's kind of the established norm, to be honest. So it actually made sense for your brand to use the .cc. You don't find you have to explain that to people, no. and people are okay to use that and don't think it's a bit unusual. Yeah, it doesn't. It's never, it's never caused any problems. There's been obviously the obvious chat around buying up the other domain names, but when you're fighting against the Utah Tourist Board, I think you're going to struggle with it. <laughs> Have they got deeper pockets, right? I reckon so. Yeah, <laughs> I reckon so. So you've been going um, five years. Uh, this Thursday, you said, is that right? Indeed, five years on Thursday. Wow. And how's the how's the first five years of life gone? I didn't have a beard that was this grey. Um, <laughs> I know, and that's a genuine, a genuine fact. <laughs> Um, I, I've often there's a couple of kind of analogies I've used in terms of it's a bit like holding on to Black Beauty riding down a beach with no saddle um, and then grabbing onto the mane having never ridden a horse before <laughs> um, that's how it tends to feel on a day to day basis but there's also like you're on a train and somebody else is driving and people are constantly getting on and getting off yeah. and you don't actually know where you're going um, so much as you start out on a journey thinking you know what your plans are you tend to end up in somewhere completely different yeah um, that's, that's totally true yeah yeah yeah, know how that feels. Yeah, completely. So, what started out as a it was a specifically technical cycling clothing brand has morphed into streetwear, into customizable kit, um, and we've done all sorts of things now with all sorts of people that I never would have envisaged. I suppose when I was looking up set when I first set it up, if I looked at kind of a, a lofty aspiration and ambition in terms of what I've done. We've delivered against that. We've got our mm. own race team. I've produced my own beer, developed my own clothing. I probably never would have thought I'd done that. Well, wow. so so how did you how did how did you go from cycle gear to to beer? Um, it was just one of those. I'd love to say it's like a kind of natural evolution. It clearly isn't. So, <laughs> um, it was just. It, it was just kind of like synchronicity. Things sort of came together. I was working with um, a, a craft brewer. Obviously, in this time, if you think over this period, it, craft ale has become like this big, it's become the next snake oil, really, to be honest. Everyone loves it. And there's a natural affinity between Pariah as a brand and a lot of the brands that exist in that space. Mm. I think, I think the, there's a lot of graphical elements to the craft brewing industry, obviously, as there is to my products. So there's a natural affinity there. And a lot of the guys who, who ride and buy into the brand tend to drink like the, in those kind of establishments and those kind of products. So... That's how it's kind of come about. It was just into natural fit. And so this is a product that you that fits with your customer, it fits with your brand. Um, are you are you pleased that you did it? You moving into craft beer? I want. I, I think moving into craft beer probably builds me up to be a bit more uh, than I actually am. Okay. <laughs> License my brand out to it, but um, I am pleased. Yeah, and it's mm. given the point of difference. Other people have copied it actually, which is always a good thing. I think. Um, and it's given us a point of difference, and it, it, you, you link into. Obviously, you've got like a Venn diagram. You've got this shared area in terms of target market, but you link into a whole other different piece, and it opens up other doors. What we've found is that once we've, we've got with a few big kind of like craft brewers up in the north, we've got with North Brew, we've got with Magic Rock, we've got with Bricks in the South. People see that. I think we'll have a piece of that. So some mm. of the other big brewers have started coming on board as well, okay. um, which is fantastic for us. So how does um, how does it work? I mean, you mentioned with uh, the beer and, I mean, you can just see from your website, this whole graphical element. Obviously, there's a lot of design 
on multiple things. There's the design of your clothing products, there's the design of the cycle range, there's a design of, you know, craft beer labels. Is that something you personally do or? Um, It's not me personally operating Illustrator and using the Mac. I would never, ever, you know, profess to be proficient in doing that. Um, But a lot of the ideas come out of my head. Okay. Which is not a good thing to admit, even being frank, but I think I'm what the hell's going on up there. But yeah, yeah. It is, it, it, a lot of it does come out of my head. It's inspired from the things that I've picked up and heard when I've been out and about um, with the guys who ride for me and in that kind of area, really, in that space. So it's safe to say then that for you, one of the key elements I guess you had to address early on was how you got out of your head the image to your graphic designer and that whole relationship so he could then or she could then design and build you know the translate that into you know your your clothing side of things completely i mean my my, my design is actually a mate i've known since i was 10 so okay that, that, that helps it helped yeah because i can give him the loosest of briefs and he gets it because he's my mate and mm. he makes it to get you so that has actually helped mm. there is always this thing in terms of I get a brief from a client, say, for doing some team kit. I then translate that to my designer, who then translates it in his head into a designer, then sends it back to me, sends it back to a customer, and there's always a gap. It's very yeah. rare we've gone first time we've got it right. Yeah. So there is that thing in terms of it, it, this is going to sound really, I'm trying to think about using profanity, but it's going to sound, <laughs> it basically, it, it's an art form, and you're translating somebody else's art. So yeah, it's just yeah. a weird thing. It's getting things out of people's heads. That said, it, we seem to have done all right so far. I would have said learning is um, just because I like it doesn't mean everyone else is going to like it. Yeah. And you're on a constant knife edge of that in terms of producing a load of kit and a load of T-shirts that potentially could just tank. Mm-hmm. And that happens every season, to be honest. So you do do designs that don't work? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. You tend to run it by like a different pa- a panel, a different, say, panel. That's kind of making it sound very formal. I'll probably send it to some brand ambassadors to design. Yeah. I'll speak to a few trust. I've got a few trusted people I know will get constructive criticism. It, it, weirdly, there's no formula for success. Like I've done this year, there's a lot of camo knocking around in the fashion market. I've liked camo myself. I've done some last year. I thought, all right, I'll evolve that. And I'll also randomly do this journey jersey that just says pain all over it completely black and white, mm. like chrome design. Won't do too many of them because it's quite out there. Lo and behold, the pain jersey sells out immediately. Camo stuff has just taken ages to sell through. <laughs> so it just doesn't, you know, you, you can't apply this kind of like, you know, tried and tested rule yeah. really. Well, that's the interesting thing, isn't it, with the products that you've got and the 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 way that you're approaching business is one you have to be very creative and two you have to put stuff out there to see whether people are going to like it and buy it because like you say you just don't know you can have a good guess um and hopefully you get it right more times than you get it wrong i mean that's the 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 aim isn't it so when you um how do you then manage uh stock so you you've got a load of camo um tops you've got a load of paint tops the paint sells out pretty quick um, but the camo tops take a while. How do you manage the the stock side of things? Is there a formula that you use there? Uh, again, I'd love to say there is, but there isn't. Um, it's, a, it's a bit hit and miss. It's improving, mm. yeah, but it's a bit hit and miss. In terms, we um, it, it's just a case of keeping an eye on inventory, reordering the stuff that's selling well. I'm on a lead time, though, and it's technical stuff. It's not like printing T-shirts. It's technical fabrics that need sourcing and printing, sublimating um and then the stuff isn't selling well we'll tend to try and put a bit of money behind it in terms of social push on social because we've a decent following there and it will slowly but surely it will sell through but you have to incentivize a lot more the the other kind of uh, mitigating factor is the fact that the cycling market is so seasonal so um and it is very very linked in i mean clearly all fashion seasonal but the cycling market specifically so because to be honest if you like this year in the uk the weather's been particularly well unsettled it takes yeah. a while to kick off and i've spoken to a number of different i've spoken to wiggle i've spoken to rulia which is a magazine um i've spoken to all the brands and they've all had the same in- experience that i've had is that things just haven't sold or haven't sold like their previous years and like 50 percent down year on year so it's yeah. very affected by the weather then the cycling market 
it is, it is, but then you don't realise literally how much. Mm. Like the season last year, because we had a heat wave, again, in the, you've got to think this is in purely UK terms, because we had a heat wave, I think June and July were just astronomical for me. Just mm. sold so much kit. This year, people have stayed back because it's been raining, it's not been raining, it's been mega hot, it's been cold, it didn't kick off till late, we had a funny winter. There's all these factors, and then you overlay kind of fashion trends and you overlay designs and you overlay a brand and you overlay profile you've got all these different strands that you need to try and pull together and deal with yeah sounds like you're juggling lots of different ideas all at the same time yeah yeah and de- doing that and, th- and this is some of the chat I've, I've had a chat with this with I've got a mentor I work with and we've had a chat of kind of flattening out those peaks in terms of how you structure the business. So look at moving more towards doing the, the team kit stuff, which allows you to have a constant, you know, mm. income and turnover without having to rely on the seasonal trends and driving people to your to your brand. So just to be clear, a team kit is, or the, the, the custom kit is where you make a bespoke kit for a, a cycling team. So they come to you and say, listen, we've got, however many people 20 people in our club we want our own kit can you do it yes or no kind of thing yeah it's that it's businesses it's people i mean there's a lot of csr around it these days so i've, I've picked up more and more and rather than going on a golf day you'll go on a, a, a day where there's like 20 of them going out on bikes there's brands okay. like we just discussed you know the craft beer guys that's a similar relationship so we'll produce jerseys for them and they're like well I've, you know it can never range from give us 20 jerseys up to 300 mm. sell them and we'll sell them on our website as well so Again, it gives that point of difference versus your competitive set, and it gives you the. I, would look, I don't want to call it a cash cow because that sounds a bit cynical, but it gives you that constant turnover really in income. Yeah, I mean, um, I call it the uh, I call it the Shoalhammer effect, named after a, a, a guy I knew in in Germany when I used to import saunas. It's a long story which I won't bore you with, um, but it used to. Be, I had this company whereby. You would install a sauna or a health spa for a company and it would be a big project and it would be boom. Do you know what I mean? Cash flow would be great. And then it would be bust because you've not got the next project. And you, you kind of you, you're very much going up and down and up and down. And Showhammer talked to me about how do you build a business where actually the first part of your income is quite flat and predictable. So when you have the, the up and downs, it's on top of this predictable income, which gives you the stability you need. Um, so your company is not all amazing or all terrible. It's kind of like my company is okay or my company is brilliant. And it's it's the, um, yeah, we call it the show hammer effect. So how have you, I mean, is the is the idea behind doing team kits and craft beer um, and the clothing all part of that? I'm trying to build a consistent, regular pattern of income. Funny you say in terms of that lesson that you you picked up on and you, in terms of going to the sauna has obviously taken me only four. It probably, I, I realised that earlier this year and it's taken about four and a half years to get to the point where I think the light bulb switched on. Mm. I need to switch this and that's just gone through kind of experiencing a painful season. It's one of those classic things where you pivot slightly because you've you've gone through the the negative piece or the the kind of downside of it and you've learned. Um, so yeah, it's taking the different building blocks. I mean, I would have put the craft beer piece probably in the marketing bit, bit, bit of it, in terms of the content, in terms of the imagery, in terms of that profile, constantly having links into that. That's sure. how I would place that really. The, in terms of developing the casual off the bike clothing, that just gives other people entry point into the brand. So you've not got a purely cycling based market. You've got something slightly different. And having chatted to some other brands, I've chatted to a ski brand about this actually, call it the Vans effect, which is pretty much Vans as in skatewear. Mm. You know, if you, I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day about this. In fact, the guy owned a golf brand, his dad's 75 and he wears Vans. I'm like, well, he's hardly going to be chucking ollies on his skate deck, is he? He's like, <laughs> he bought Vans because he's, he's either seen them in a shop mm. or he's seen somebody wearing them or one of his mates have told him he should get a pair. Yeah. Or, He's got that access point to the brand. Now, the 75-year-old were not a good example, but if you look who's wearing brands out and about in town, I would have probably put about, I would have put it in single digits, the percentage of people actually ride a skateboard. But I'll probably put in at least double, at least double, obviously, but at least, you know, 20, 30, 40% of people who buy into the lifestyle approach sure. of it. Sure. And that, I've, that was my ultimate, that was the ski brand. And also the, the conversation we had, which was like, you create a brand that people aspire to, but they don't necessarily have to link into that sport. Yeah. So, so is that is that you know it's always hard to think sort of 10 years in front of yourself when you're an online business but 
is that the dream? Is that the place that you want to get to that actually it becomes this sort of lifestyle brand? That is, that is the great white buffalo. That's kind of where I see it going. Yeah, you yeah. See, that's kind of definitely what I would see. I would love it to be that. Um, you've got to look at, I suppose, if you look at brass tacks on the conversation we had in terms of how you structure the business and you look how you want to scale something, is that scalable at this stage or is the bit with the team kit scalable allowing you to customize things? And, you know, the, the kind of heart says, uh, go with a lifestyle approach. The head says, go with a scalable bit. And going back to your point, you know, maybe the scalable bit allows you to deliver the lifestyle bit further down the line. Mm. So, Yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? And I I mean, doing something like a lifestyle brand requires, is going to require a lot of investment. Um, it's, uh, you know, even just in stock alone, it's, it's, um, you, it's a really interesting, unless you go down that road of, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the brands. The kids love it. The one where they say, oh, we've got a thousand T-shirts, you know, and that's it. When it says a thousand T-shirts, it's all gone. And um, so people kind of have programs now on their computer as soon as a new product or a new item. Is it Supreme? Thank you, I, I can't remember what. I, I, I don't, I don't, is it Supreme? I, I genuinely can't remember the name of the brand, but they do super well because they're very limited in terms of this is the stock, this is what we have, once it's gone, it's gone. Um, yeah. And I've seen a few brands doing that, actually. There's a brand called Hustle, HSTL, Hustle Made, um, by Craig Ritchie, which is he's a, bit, he's, um, a CrossFit guy. And he does the same thing. So he'll do a release of products. And once they're gone, they're gone. He's, do you know what I mean? He, he functions on that release side of things, and he always seems to do well with it. Um, and it's a, I think it's a really interesting business model. Um, very, very fascinating. So if you were to... Um, if you were just to sort of sit and think about your your business right now, are you kind of are you pleased with where it's at? Are you are you are you concerned? Are you happy? I mean, what's the kind of override emotion? Um, it's one of those things you always want effectively what you've not got. So you always, I think it's I, I, I'm a victim of this. I'm always looking forward, mm. and then I reflect on the things I've just said to you, and I think where I was in 2014, 2015, I've actually created what I set out to create, but now I want the next thing. So. Yeah. But that's um, that's quite entrepreneurial, though, right? That's not a bad thing. I, I wouldn't have said it's a bad thing. I said it's a bad thing for your head because you <laughs> I will go. I mean, this, I don't. I wouldn't go too deep. There's a bit of an imposter syndrome as well with that. You always think, well, actually, I'm not quite delivered yet. I'm not mm. doing this X, Y, and Z. And then you speak to people, like, oh my god, you're killing it. You're like, well, I don't really feel like that. Mm. So I know what's on behind the scenes. I know how I operate, and I'm not killing it. Um, so. Um, it's been tough, you know. It's been a tough year this year, I have to admit. And I'm, it's been quite reassuring speaking, like I said, to re- like some massive online retailers. Yeah. In terms of, you know, Wiggles, a hundred million pound reach. Yeah, uh, it's massive, re- isn't it? It's a massive company. Maybe four hundred million, and you th- and you speak to them, and they're seeing the same trends that you're feeling. Yeah. Uh, not ju- you know, it's not just you. Brass tax though, that doesn't pay the mortgage, you know. So you've got to kind of work around that. Yeah. Uh, and it's just been a base. It's, it's holding your nerve, really. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's been. Yeah, we had a crack in April. May was okay. June's not been brilliant. July so far, okay. Um, web sales have come in. Custom kits, things have slowed down. But there's a, a long pipeline in terms of when somebody comes into a custom kit sale, you can be talking three, six, nine months before they actually yeah, yeah. sort it. So it's all about the kind of lead generation piece around that, and that's something I'm working on at the moment. So how, I mean, you know, you've got your e-commerce side of things and, um, and people sort of find you, how do, how do, well, how do people find you online? What's your main source of traffic? Difficult to say, because if you look at the metrics, it says organic. The thing is, organic can be driven out of a whole host of different things. Yeah. Puts it predominantly down to social as a, excuse me, as a profile piece, um, simply because we have a large amount of Instagram followers. We'd love a lot more, but um, we have a, large, a decent following on there. And we get a lot of content sent back, and a lot of people pick up on us, and it's amazing where people have seen you. That mm. said, um, you also, you're also surprised about people who have seen you out cycling, and or not just me, so one, I've seen people out in my kit, and then they've picked up on it, and they've come that way. Mm. Um, and once this... We do get a decent level of return. I, mean, I can't quote the percentages, but we do have a decent level of returning customers and some really loyal ones as well. Mm. But I would say, yeah, social is probably one that drives the traffic to the website. And predominantly Instagram from social. 
Yeah, I mean, we don't do anything really with Twitter. I have an opinion about that, but I don't really do anything with Twitter. Facebook is is more about this kind of community piece that we're slowly building back up again, but mm. using that as initially we were using Facebook to kind of generate uh, traffic for the website in terms of advertising using their, using their metrics. And we've since switched that into doing lead generation for TeamKit. And that's actually been fairly successful so far. So for your deed, you, you are, well, I'm assuming you approach the two things very differently in terms of lead generation. So you, you have lead generation for TeamKit, but then you have lead generation just for your general cycling clothing website. Um, so have I, have I understood this right? The, the sort of the cycling clothing side of thing, Instagram's pretty good. And Facebook, you've now switched to focus more on the custom kit, team kit side of things. Yeah, simply because of the people you can target through it and the kind of, you know, the, the, the metrics that you can tee into it. Mm. You can really, so we discussed craft beer. We looked at, and we're doing something that's slightly different in the next couple of weeks, but we looked at people who had an interest in craft beer and interest in cycling and then targeted them with a um, really, really strong set of images from the kit that we've done. Mm. And we have really decent clips. I think we spent, I think we spent 100 quid and we ended up with 100 email addresses. That's, um, that's very good. Yeah, yeah. Now, clearly, it's it's kind of it, it's a bit a bit of vanity involved. They've got 100 email addresses. You've got to convert that. Mm-hmm. We've got four, maybe five through already. So it's paid for itself. Mm. But there's nine ninety five there that we can still go at. Yeah. So it's been about testing that and working out what works for us. So what is your your strategy then so someone uh, comes in they give you their email address through facebook you know for the 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 the, the team kit that's their you know that's their in what what's your sort of strategy once you get that email address do you have a sequence you send out do you yeah i mean what we're trying to do is keep it personal so they don't feel they're getting spammed by some random bot so um we've just automated it via mailchimp so they get an email straight back because uh, unfortunately Facebook you don't always find out that you've got uh, leads they have to go in specifically to check and then we send them further information and ask a bit more about what they're after mm. once you've got the response they can obviously have the more personal touch and it's actually from me nine times out of ten Yeah, um, we're trying where we can see if we can get phone numbers because phone numbers apparently give a, it's a, a richer lead so it's more convertible if you've got somebody because they're higher intentions to purchase yeah that's but that's again just down to the testing. So there's a funnel. I don't think the funnel's fully fully been tweaked yet and fully, you know, it's not slick. Um, it needs to follow through onto the website and it needs to be this kind of sequence of information that builds to effectively a, a sale. Yeah. I mean one of the one of the things that has worked very well with those kind of funnels, because I mean I see these funnels all the time and I mean we use them uh, for example, um, on my own e-commerce websites, you know, you've got somebody who's coming in who's made an inquiry that doesn't necessarily want to buy straight off the website. There's something quite unique about what they want. Um, and you could even, like in the web business, you know, the web agency, people contact you and say, well, can I have a quote? Well, you know, there's a whole lot of information, isn't there, you want off people beforehand. Um, but what you, what what we know is, there's always like a sequence of standard questions which they ask. Um, always like three or four key questions like, you know, well, how does this actually work? What kind of designs can I have? Can I see some examples of work you've already done? Do you know what I mean? There's all these sort of kind of things. Yeah. And actually um, email sequences like that um, I think are super helpful. We found them to work very, very well where you, you say hey, your first email is like, hey, listen, thanks for getting in touch. It's brilliant. Um we'll contact you directly in the meantime um here's you know uh, a quick case study on fred cycling club um and here's what we did for them here's how it worked you know what i mean and they can click through that to the website they can watch a quick video which explains the process and how it works so by the time you've called them they've already got that they always they all they automatically feel a lot better about themselves you know what i mean because they know a bit of information they feel like they found something out and um, I, I don't know if you've had any experience sort of doing that type of automated response where it's kind of like, thanks for being in touch, check this out, whatever this is, a video or something on the website, um, and then monitor how many people click through to that. 
funny enough, we've kind of done that relatively, I'd say organically, a bit intuitively. So mm. that's kind of where it's gone. Yeah. So it's gone initial email out saying thanks for contacting us. You know, can you let us know a bit more about what you're after? And then if there's no response or there is a response, then it's a link through to either a lookbook or um, we're shifting this custom kit page more so it looks like the landing page that they originally went to, yeah. but with a lot yeah. more information on it. And then it's going back following up with some pricing. Mm. And it's that kind of structure. And that's what we've got to, but kind of like by trial and error. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's still, we're still trial and error in it. And there's still people who, the amount of people who've gone, I don't know who you are. I don't remember doing this, which is a bit weird because they put information <laughs> in asking people to contact them. But there was a quite a high, I would have said at least 20, 30% of people said really? that. Really? Yeah. Wow. I wonder if that's a sign then something's wrong because, like you said, it's not, it's not like, I'm, I don't know, I'm not going to like a grocery site and just ordering chicken. It's not like something I do on a regular basis. You've got, I think this is Facebook, actually. I think it was the Facebook. So we started looking at using a landing page called Unbound. So I don't know mm. if you've used Unbound. So I'm not, I wasn't aware of it, but we looked at using that. And that, the Facebook thing auto-populates. So mm. I think some people just auto-press, auto-populate away we go and forget yeah. about it. And they've not really done anything. Unbound is a bit more... There's a bit more user um, interaction, I think. So yeah. there was a bit of a learning there, and that's from trying to iron out. Do, to be fair, when they come back and say, I wasn't sure why I contacted you, it does at least give you a dialogue rather than no yeah, response. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. in a, a response, one way or another. Yeah, and you know, you know, okay, well, let's just leave these guys alone, right? And so it makes your email list much more um, on target. Have you tried doing sequences with Facebook Messenger? No, not actually. I've not touched that. Because um. for lead generation, again, um, I think it would be something that you would want to play around with at this stage and just test and use, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of Facebook Messenger bot services um, that you can use. Um, and they're super cheap, like 10 bucks a month or something like that. And you can you can do a lot of that automation and have a lot of those conversations just by building some nice interaction. But it's then by Facebook Messenger. And the thing that I like about Facebook Messenger, the thing which I I found when I've done these kind of things, is the open rate um, is much higher with Facebook Messenger than it is when I send people an email. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Even if they filled out a form on a website and I send them a sequence, there's only a percentage that still open those emails. Um, but it's much, much higher on Messenger. People are much more likely to open direct messages on Messenger, which you can do once they've connected with you. Um, and so that would definitely be something worth looking at for you guys because I think that would be a that would be a fascinating thing. Um, and if I go back to um, if I go back to Instagram and you use that for the the main site, have you built up? You mentioned you know you've you've built quite a big social following. How have you done that? Is that something you've done? Is that something you've outsourced? We outsourced it for a, we kind of pulled in and pulls out with somebody who's got um, an algorithm that works, um, but it's not a kind of it's not clearly it's a bot. It's not like a bot. I think a, a bot's probably down downgrading it. Looks at demographics. Looks at um, uh, out oh God, demographics, geographics, mm. um, and we really can zone in on it in terms of competitive brands, who their competitive brands are, what would, you know, who are the people who follow that target them. And it, we kind of dip in and dip out. It seems to kind of go in phases where it maxes out a bit, really, and you need to stop using it. But that's built it. But to be honest, just the organic content and the content we've really built on the back of brand ambassadors. Now, this year we've been a little lighter. Kind of, it got to kind of maximum occupancy in terms of how many brand ambassadors we were working with. There was just a lot of them, and you were just giving so much kit away. Mm. Having spoken to other clothing brands who are a lot, lot bigger than I am, um, they've done the same. They just said that that is just kind of back to life. If it's not them, it's wholesalers. If it's not wholesalers, it's retailers giving it to. But I've always been in the opinion in terms of, in fact, to do this over press, personally, in terms of press ads, you give a decent, probably micro-influencer you would class them as, so a 1,000 plus followers, but somebody who's really on market, really on brand, really fits the profile of what you're doing, and mm. get them in your kit. You've got content, you've got exposure to their followers, and expose not just the followers, you take out the digital sphere, you've got their peers as well, and then yeah. their local community. 
and some of the guys I've worked with are just, and it's opened up so many doors. Um, for example, I'm working with a photographer in New York at the moment that is a friend of a guy who's ridden for me since the start. He had 500 followers on Instagram. He's got 2,000 now. But the photographer works with Vogue. He's absolutely amazing. He also rides a bike, loves the kit, and then he gets all these gorgeous-looking people into my kit, <laughs> and, and it's free. I haven't paid anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. And he's getting, expo- he's getting exposure and talking to people about my stuff around New York with a completely different demographic than probably the guys riding fixed gear as a messenger. So yeah. that kind of strategy just is like a spider's web that just builds and builds and builds. So for the cost of giving somebody a jersey, rather than, you know, for example, I've been approached this week about doing a feature in a magazine in September, and they've asked me if I want to feature. It's £2,500 for a half-page, I think, half-page ad. Yeah. Well, why would I spend two and a half grand on that when I can give somebody a couple hundred quid to the kit, get free photos, and it's in New York? So yeah, exactly. So how do you how do you find the micro influence? Because I agree with you. I mean, it's a phenomenal strategy at the moment. Rather than targeting the big influencers, unless you've got very deep pockets, um, the micro influencers is is definitely taking off. Is definitely if you find the right micro influencers, it definitely is fruitful. So how are you finding them? Some come to you. Um, in the early days, they didn't. I was just spending a lot of time. I was looking at competitive brands, looking who, who was riding them. Some came through, like, just network. You know, you get contacted by, you've done a team kit for somebody, and then they come back and say, somebody from that club would say, I've seen your team kit. I really like designs like your website. Have you thought about this? And you'd start chatting, and then lo and behold, it turned into something. Uh, I've been contacted by a couple of people today in Germany who messaged me, who look like they fit the brand. Hmm. You start to wheedle some people out of just what they call kit halls, who just basically come out, and they'll go to loads of different brands, and you'll look at the feed, and they'll be in something different every day, and I just think it lacks credibility that. They just, hmm. just people can see through it. And, you, and what I've always said is it's a bit of a, I've never really given like a document or a contract to someone, but what I've said is, look, just don't be a dick, basically. Don't yeah. go out and go after loads of other people's kit and think it's going to work for us because it just doesn't. It doesn't. I'm giving you cash, so therefore you come back to me and give me a bit of commitment, um, and then that's it, and we'll look after you. Yeah. And we've got some really, really good relationships going, and people are very, very loyal, and they like it, and they love it. Mm. So um, I've just picked up a girl in Seattle who... Um, contacted me about setting up. She wants to set up her own cycling club, um, and she's now she's just worn. I gave her some little kit because she fits the profile of my brand, which is a bit left field alternative. She then came back and said, "Our oh, write blogs. Would you be interested in some more blog work?" So I said, "Let's have a chat." And she's written me a blog about the similarities between bondage and being beaten with a paddle. Um, and riding <laughs> riding a, uh, a, a sportive and I saw well that's gold dust <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not I have to be honest with you Sam it's not the first blog post you know theme that comes into my head when I think yeah, about I, you I, I've got to admit I mentioned how my brain works but it did not work that way <laughs> yeah jeez so the, the micro influencers the, they either connect with you or you're sort of connecting with them do you, you you don't send out a contract? You said, but do you like insist on having a phone conversation with them before you do anything? Honestly, I, I, no. I end up having some people. I do. Some people I'll chat to. Mm. A lot of this is done on email and trust. And weirdly, touching wood, it, it's worked. And you know, even even with some of the kit stuff, people will send you two or three thousand quid. Mm. Never spoken to you before. Yeah. And I obviously send them stuff out for that two or three thousand pounds. We like run off into the sunset with it. Um, but it's it, it's a lot of it is done on trust. There's, yeah. People don't. I've worked out now the questions that I need to ask. It's like you work with any other clothing brands? Have you yeah. worked with any clothing brands? You know, how often do you ride? There's no point. Some people just won't ride. We will take your kit and just don't ever see it again. Yeah, and that sort of thing. And they just and then some of the imagery as well. I'm not. It's. People ask me, what kind of pictures do you want? And to be honest, if you've got to ask that question, you're probably not going to be right because you yeah. intuitively would know what... The reason why we're talking is because the pictures you've got and you're... I'm binding to you as a person yeah. and everyone else buys into you as a person because yeah. cliches right people by people. So um, it's... I don't... You don't need to ask and I don't need to ask you. You just go out and do your thing. Yeah. That's really interesting. So... 
you're going to carry on with the micro-influence as a strategy uh, for your, you know, your sort of retail side of the business. Um, have you been... Have you, well, have you been doing anything different, say, to build the clothing side of it, or is it all the same thinking? Um, in terms of the non-technical off the bike, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, interestingly, and I've, I did. It's a funny thing with clothing. If you looked at it, I mean, obviously, likes again. I've used the word vanity a lot here, but I would have said, well, likes is a vanity met- metric. But the interaction with posts on the off the bike stuff is nowhere near as strong as the stuff that has technical pe- people using a bike. Mm. Now, clearly, I've got a target market on my Instagram that is people who ride bikes, so that is down to a bit of that. However, if, when I've done a, a ri- I did a buy one get one free on my t-shirts about two weekends ago, and over two days, there's two and a half grand went through on t-shirts, which was considered them a nineteen pound yeah. each. Yeah. Decent, decent rate of sale, yeah. and that's only advertised via Instagram. Wow, so there wasn't a lot of interaction, but people were coming to the site. Mm. So it's, I suppose, it depends what your objective is, really. For example, I, I you know, I put some off the bike stuff, and it's 100, 100 people have liked. It. I've got near twenty five thousand followers. A hundred people like these pictures. The girl with the bondage girl, for want of a better, better description. <laughs> She will be ever known as. Um, yeah. I put image up of her this last night, and there's like 400 people liked it already. So mm. it's just, it, it fits, it yeah. works. So, in terms of how I position it, I try and keep it um, linked into the lifestyle. It needs a T back into it. It needs no problem with the T, but it needs, a, it needs a link back into the um, into the brand and into the lifestyle. But you do need to be a bit more fluid with it, I think. Yeah. So, are there any other, um, how can I put this? Are there any other strings to the bow that you think, oh, I've, I've done the technical gear, I've got the custom gear, I've got the, the clothing, I've got the craft beer. Is there something else on your list that you're wanting to add fairly soon or are you, you kind of happy with those four key items for a little while? Um, I've mentioned the word scalable and the bit that's scalable, if you look at my sourcing now, is customizable clothing. Mm. And- Think you mentioned CrossFit. Mm. You've got CrossFit. You've got personal trainers. You've got yoga teachers. You've got people who yoga. People who do <laughs> yoga. Um, I'm using those as kind of like initial examples that come to mind. That is something that is, is if you get your lead generation right on the cycling piece, mm. why would you do it in other disciplines? Because mm. a lot of the sourcing is the same. Yeah. So you get you, you once you get things nailed, that is something that and that'd be something to be quite interested in exploring because I think that's something that can really build off the back of it because you, you're taking and this that's kind of classic when you look at things of how some people have scaled stuff. That's they've taken a kind of tried and tested um, uh, like formula and they exploited it really. Mm. So yeah, oh, great. So the I guess I. I one of the questions I have, I mean, looking at your website, and you've mentioned it already, is your, your imagery. You know, you're, you're, you're heavily reliant on Instagram, which means you're heavily reliant on images. Um, yeah. And you've got a lot of user-generated content, or UGC as the, the trend is to call it now. Um, but obviously, you're putting your own stuff out there. How do you do your own brand photography? Do you have a photographer? Is it something you do? How, how did that all come about? I wish I could do it because I'd probably save a fortune. But um, again, interesting. What you've tend- what I've tended to find is I've got I've, so I've got a photographer I've used for about three and a half years, who I met through cycling. But he wasn't actually doing cycling; so he was doing a cafe. And I was trying to explain this style to him the day, and it, it, just, it just completely doesn't work. But I said he's like got a clean grittiness about it, and I just okay. don't know how that just sounds like a complete, obviously, contradiction in terms, but. It just fits with what we do. Yeah. And he's got a really good eye, and he's a sound guy. So I've always used him for stuff for my website. However, as I discussed with the guy in New York, I've got another guy who rides for me who um, pretty much all he does is ride a bike every, all the time, but he's also a photographer when he's not sat on two wheels. And if I want something doing quick, I send him, he keeps it, I send him kit, whether it be T-shirts, jerseys, bib shorts, whatever, he takes pictures of it, and I get... 20 or 30 images back really quickly of either him or his mate in it. Mm. And they fit the brand and that's free. Effectively, that's me. I'm paying for it in, in kit, which he then wears out and continues to produce content from. 
Yeah. Mm. And so it's then, a gift that keeps on giving, really. It is. It's, it's a bit like a virtuous circle. Um, and then I get contacted fairly regularly by photographers, a lot more so probably in the last 12 months. And I think with the month of profile, the brand's increased. Mm. So, for example, I had a guy contact me, worked with me on the weekend with my race team, and said, look, I've been photographing weddings. I'm doing brand work with some brands I'm not that interested in, but I've always ridden a bike and I like it. Could I do some work with you just to build my, my um, portfolio? So I said, I'd look at his website and thought, he actually brings something different to what we've got in terms of style. Mm. I said, um, yeah, so we met up. Had a really sound guy, good chat, and he's done me about 80, 90 images of the team on the weekend, and we're going to do it, meet up and do some stuff on the bikes in a couple of weeks. And that, again, was, and then and it's a bit of a pay-it-forward thing. Yeah. So I don't do it. I tend to do, sometimes the user-generated stuff is very, very good quality, and you're like, good God. I'll give you one more example. A guy contacted me from Germany and said, it's, I know he took a picture of one of the guys and who raced for me when they were in Holland, and his picture was really weird in left field. It was really weirdly lit. Mm. It's amazing. And I contacted him. I said, can I use it? And he said, would you be interested in anything else? So what's going on? You don't have the budget to be paying you. Nice way of saying, I've got loads of photographers. I don't want to spend any more cash. Yeah. And he just sent me some gear. Let's see what he can do. And he's just done it. So I sent him one lot. Again, got these amazingly lit images. Sent him, and he's just taken another lot now for his wow. friend, his girlfriend. So it's almost like professional user-generated content, basically. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a great formula for you. Geez, because you know a lot of brands that are certainly starting out, clothing brands where high-class imagery is important. You know, the the way you've gone about it, I think, because your photos represent your brand well, and they're coming from your users as well. It keeps them fresh. You're not going down one seam the whole time. You've got whatever, a half dozen photographers producing stuff in different ways and feelings. I think it's brilliant. I think you can't buy that kind of stuff. It's like gold dust, you know? It is, isn't it? and I feel there's a lot of me in that in terms of the relationship I've developed with people. And like I was saying to the guy on Sunday, I was saying, right, well, sort your couple of jerseys out, you know. So I'll sort your jerseys out, and I've got somebody you could work with to try speaking to this guy. And I won't just go, thanks, cheers, you don't hear from me again, I'm not to your emails. And we've tended to build relationships with different people. Mm. We ran the, we do like an annual sportive, which is part of the beer. And a guy took the pictures last year. He actually got a job with another photographer who I introduced him to on that ride. <laughs> and then this year, I said, and I've spoken to him, we've been riding in the, in, the, in the interim. And then I said, could you do it again for us? He said, yeah, for sure. And he's 650 quid a day. Mm. And I paid him in a case of beer, some T-shirts and a jersey. <laughs> yeah. You Which is a lot have. less than 650 quid. Yeah, damn straight. <laughs> and he's wearing the T-shirts. and Yeah, the, yeah. Well, he probably values it more than the 650 quid in a bizarre kind of sense, you know. To a certain extent, yeah. And he loves it. Mm. So it's, it's, it's worked well for us, that, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's definitely something you should keep doing because, Jesus, you know, a lot of people um, really crave what you've got with that. Um, if I can just maybe switch topics slightly and talk about your website, you use Shopify as the platform for your website, right? Yeah, that's a very recent thing. Well, same reason, April, we changed. Um, and so that's what, three or four months ago at the time of recording. So why, why, what were you on and why did you move? Um, we were on WordPress, WooCommerce. Um, we moved to get a kind of slicker site, slicker, more intuitive site. Uh, it's a bit clunky in the back end with WordPress, um, and some of the reporting didn't really work for us in terms of what we're looking for. Flip side, this is actually kind of in hindsight, I didn't realize how much Shopify would want their pound of flesh every time you do anything. <laughs> um, clearly being owned by Amazon, they're going to know their onions, so they're mm. gonna, it's going to work, and there's a lot more... Some of the packages we were looking at using don't have an interface with um, WooCommerce. You just can't get them to work. And there's no kind of API link or anything like that. And they do with Shop Shopify, for example. I'm working, I work with a retailer that's based out of Australia and America. They didn't have an, an, an API where it linked into your inventory. So we were constantly they were selling things that we didn't have. Yeah. So I'd have to go into their website to update their, their inventory. Now... It just it actually links back into my website and my fulfillment house. I don't even touch it. Mm. So sometimes on their website, it goes through my website into my fulfillment house and gets put out, and then fires an email out to the customer to tell them that they sold. 
So it's that kind of slickness is great. It does, I think it's lost a bit of its um, edge and a bit of its raw appeal, whereby we'd built a lot of stuff that worked for us and, you know, my web developer could construct things and build stuff with code that you can't do on Shopify because it's just locked down. Yeah. So are you, overall, you pleased you moved to Shopify? Um, I think from a headache perspective, yes. It's a WooCommerce or something to go down. You'd have a 404 probably every six, eight weeks if something would have happened or something stopped working or they put an update through that you didn't know about. Yeah. You don't get that with Shopify. That's what I picked up. Uh, it's slick. Like I said, the reporting is really good. The analytics in the back end of looking, you know, what have you lost through um, abandoned carts, what have you lost through, uh, what's been your kind of key product that people have hit, not bought, hit, have bought, that kind of thing. It's yeah. like that. So, um, and then to be honest, anecdotally, I got a lot of people within the first couple of weeks messaging me saying your site looks really good. It's, mm. it's, you know, yeah, well, I mean, I do it looks think, great. It does look great, your site. The only thing I think it takes away of is an irreverence to the brand, and I think it's a bit too slick to be irreverent sometimes. Yeah. Now, I think working out how you fit that irreverence back into the brand without actually having – I don't know. I often say this when, you know, do I need to write like – you know, you go in and I'm irreverent. It's a bit like when people in the office say I'm crazy me and you think you're not. You're just a bit of a knob. So I think that's basically how you need to work out how you communicate that. Yeah, but I think also, though, I get what you're saying. There is an element of it in design, right? So I look at a lot of your images and the guys in the images, they've all got, I can't see one image on your website where no one's got a tattoo, right? And it's that, how do I do the equivalent of the tattoo? Yeah, there you go. You see, <laughs> how do I do the equivalent of the tattoo on the website rather than it just looking like clear, perfect skin? Does that make sense? It's um, yeah. It's, it's interesting you, you hit on that because some people have said, I don't have tattoos, I don't wear your gear. I don't have a beard, so I don't wear your gear. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if that says more about us or them, to be honest. <laughs> probably more about them, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> probably more about them. And you kind of go, well, no, you probably can't. And just tell them they can't, which will make them want it even more. Well, yeah, that's oh, a fair point. When you get a tattoo, come back and we'll, you know, we'll... we'll... You go indelibly ink yourself and then you <laughs> make one of my side <laughs> But no, I get what you're saying in terms of how do I, how do you communicate that in design and Shopify? Did you use a template or did you design it from scratch? The, no, the we look? used a template actually. Um, God knows what it was, I can't remember what it was, but we did use it to purchase it. It's yeah, a yeah. pretty decent one as well. And it, again, it did pay dividends. But again, the only thing is you find it a bit restrictive and prohibitive. Quick example, predominantly in the cycling world, if you've got um, a jersey, you have jersey matching bib shorts, you do a bundle deal and mm. X price by both. There's no facility to do that in Shopify. We built it in WooCommerce. Mm. There will be an, an add-on or an app somewhere that allows you to do something similar, but you've actually got to find it. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to subscribe to it, you've got to test it, and you've got to keep subscribing to it, yeah. You don't just pay off for it one-off. You pay, like you were saying before, now, some of these things are like $10, $20 a month. Great. Mm. When you've got 10 of them going every month. Yeah. And my web developer said to me, he said, once your website, he said, once we, we grow the traffic to the website, you're also going to grow your outlays and your overheads back to Shopify because that's how it works. Yeah. No, it is totally. And I I mean, I think, you know, my my personal opinion of Shopify is it's a great place to sort of start from. Do you know what I mean? If someone says to me, I want to start a website, what's a good platform? I go, well, you definitely have to check out Shopify. You know, in some respects, it's it's pretty cheap for, for what it is. I mean, it's unbelievable what you get for the money. Um, so it is pretty cheap. It is pretty restrictive. And so I find... You know, when websites hit anywhere from around 100 to 250k annualized turnover and sales, they're probably starting to grumble a lot more about Shopify than they were when they started out. Um, and it's at that point, um, I think, to most companies find they've not always the case, but again, depending on what you're selling and what you're trying to do, you you then have to start looking at other platforms to scale it up to say the you know the half million or million turnover or whatever the you know the bigger numbers are in your industry um but as a as, as a platform and a way to start geez and i can see why you'd move from woocommerce to shopify i think i i i, I get that and um, i thought it was quite a brave move when you told me that you'd done it actually um to go from woocommerce to shopify again i normally hear it the other way around people go from shopify to woocommerce yeah, 
I've heard that as well. It may be a bit naive to a certain extent, but um, it has, like I said, it's taken a lot of the ball aching out of yeah. day-to-day life and admin on it, yeah. but, you, but you do pay for it. That's the thing. Um, and, you know, long-term, I don't know. We'll have to see where it where it goes and how we, how we develop things, but... Well, I, I mean this in the kindest, in the right kind of way. I hope, I hope actually, long term, you're not on Shopify because it actually means your business is growing and you've you've gone past what it can give you. Yeah, no fair play. Um, so, if I can, uh, I'm just a, a conscious of how much time of yours I'm taking. So, um, if you could go back five years and sort of have a little word with yourself and give yourself, you know, a few tips on <laughs> on things, what would you say to yourself? Do you think? Um, I didn't embrace social media as quickly as I should have done. Okay. I didn't embrace the community. It took me probably 12 months to work that out. Um, I also would have taken feedback. I think it's easy to say this because I didn't have the community to take feedback from. So what I did was early doors when I built that community, built quite quickly actually, um, through the brand ambassadors. I took feedback on the kit from them. So I started um, amending and tweaking the kit that I did mm. and, and designs to a certain extent. But I was kind of I went like that when I first started out with designs, um, and I should have gone a bit more like that. Um, and then I would. Sorry, if you're if you're listening to the podcast rather than watching it, what you actually said was you went wide rather than Sorry, saying yeah, a bit niche no, narrow. That, that is an interesting. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, I went I went very very wide in terms of design aesthetic. So I decided to take everything from my youth, from rave culture, streetwear to hip hop mm. um, to fashion, and pretty much vomited it all over a load of designs. Um, and whilst I like them, it's not necessarily everyone else would. And also, key is that whilst you've got a great set of designs and nobody knows about them, you ain't going to sell anything. Sure. So it's that profile piece. I think I would have worked harder on that earlier mm. and realized that um, a lot earlier. Um, I think uh, cash is king, and this is a bit of a um, a bit of a cliche, but the cash flow piece, especially in the last 12 months, as I said, in terms of how the seasons have worked, has become so prevalent. And just letting cash like slip through your hands and trying stuff sometimes, but this only comes. I think this just comes with experience. To be honest, mm. is where you need to be spending your money and how you need your return on investment. And it's probably a bit naive on that. Yeah. And this is a proper schoolboy one, but for God's sake, get zero or Sage or maybe zero or QuickBooks. I didn't do that till two and a half years years in. Oh wow! And I'm doing it on spreadsheet badly. Um, and I'd also, off the back of that, get a bookkeeper who understands the understands the industry. Yeah. Not at least not even the industry understands the model. Yeah, and understands how to do it right for you. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. It make, it can, and I'm an accountant, but it can make massive differences. That. Yeah. Um, things that I, I think I have done right, I would have said is when anyone gave me an opportunity, I went for it. Okay. And literally, I mean, like this conversation now. Yeah. Not saying I never say no. I mean, I always say yes, a double negative, but I'm not saying that I don't sometimes say no, but um, I ended up on a the week before I was getting married, I was on a, a Virgin flight presenting to Richard Branson um, about Pariah and to the head of Rafa and to the woman who founded Cambridge Satchel simply because I just kept saying yes to things. Oh, wow. So that was an experience. Wow. yeah. yeah. That, Bit of a pain in the arse, and it was probably far too soon for the business. So I didn't really get. I got things out of it. I got some amazing experience, and I got a lot of exposure to. It. I could, if I did that now, good God, I'd be killing it. But yeah, you live and learn, don't you? Yeah, well, you, uh, saying yes to opportunities is always good, right? Mm. For sure. Most I think with an, eye, with an eye on where, where, they, where they're going and what they're doing, but mm. I'm definitely not. So, what would you say at the moment then is your biggest challenge? Um, I mean, I've mentioned profile and profile. I mean, to a certain extent, profile and cutting through noise, probably similar sort of thing, really. There to get exposure for the brand, the key things, um, and then I, can't, I mean, this is for any business, but just having the cash to if somebody if somebody can constantly give you a stream, a credit stream, you can you can nail it because you can do <laughs> stuff that you need to be doing. But then you wouldn't be constantly looking at return on investment. You wouldn't have that sharpness around you. Mm. But yeah, getting that profile, like I, like I was saying about in terms of, you know, it's not, it's the interaction with the brand. A lot of this is based on obviously on digital and social, but it's how you play that and how you get the, 
awareness of the brand out there in your mm. target market and outside of your target market to a certain extent um, in terms of breaking it into people who would actually be interested in the brand but you wouldn't necessarily think they'd be in, say, the sport or the discipline. Yeah, yeah. No, fascinating. Do you think, um, I mean, I've, I've kind of picked up from the conversation, you obviously do a lot of cycling yourself, right? I don't know like I do, but yeah, I do. <laughs> I can only see the top part. Um, <laughs> what... Um, one of the things I find fascinating with, with people that do e-commerce is the amount of people that do an e-commerce site in an industry that they have zero um, interest in or zero passion. I can see there's benefits to that and I can see there's cons to that. You've obviously done something. Well, let me put the question to you this way. Did this business come out of your interest in cycling or have you got interested in cycling because this is your business? Um, it came. It was, it's almost like a bit of a cliche story, but it came out of the fact that I couldn't find any cycling kit at the time. Mm. Been like that for a couple of years, and I was buying really, really random stuff. And what I found was I didn't find anything that I really liked or fitted my style. Now that was probably a bit naive in some respect because there were brands out there doing it. It's just that, and it goes back to the question you asked me before: I just didn't have the profile, so I didn't. I couldn't find them. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to create something that I'd wear. I wanted something that I'd wear, so I created it, as it were. Um, and that came, that did come out of a... I want to say, I mean, some of the guys I work with, my God, are they passionate about cycling? It makes me just look like some dude dabbles now and again. And, <laughs> and I do probably a lot more than most people. Um, but, yeah, it, it came out of that. I mean, interestingly, I, I, th I thought where you were going to go with the question was, you know an e-commerce site and going into an industry they've got absolutely zero knowledge in and that I was that guy I had no idea what I was doing and in fact I had no idea about e-commerce to be frank mm. and then when I thought I'm sat here waxing lyrical to yourself five years down the line thinking Jesus Christ what have I learned and I used to be I used to run sales teams for people like Nestle and now I'm talking about you know lead generation via Facebook and where's that come from um so I, I would say if you haven't, it depends what kind of person you are. I, I spent a long time selling things and marketing things and products that I, I didn't have any interest then. I mean, I used to sell on your selling tampons, for God's sake. So <laughs> if, you, if you can do that, yeah, 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 you should really be able to sell something you're interested in. Yeah, yeah. I think I kind of maxed out. I reached saturation point of selling stuff that I really didn't care about. I won't name the brand, but I sat in a meeting. This was the pivotal point, and when people asked me, when did you decide you were going to go and set an e-commerce site up? Mm. We sat in a meeting about a chocolate bar, and it was a fifth or sixth iteration of exactly the same chocolate bar, but with a slightly different flavoring. And people were practically firming up at the back about it, giving it, that is one of the best things I've ever seen. And I just thought, are you seriously telling me that's the best thing you've ever seen? <laughs> I, I was like, no. I'm no, not sure. I don't care. So... And I do care about this. And again, sorry about all the tangents, but I was out with I was out with a friend with the cycling team and the photographer on Sunday at Magic Rock Brewing over in Huddersfield doing some we're doing some work with them having a few beers. And she was, Oh, you're working Sunday? And I said, Well, not really, I'm on. Out with a group of lads I'm chatting to about beers, cycling and what they did last night. <laughs> Boy, that's work. I think, well, is it? I don't feel like work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like fun. Well, exactly it was. I enjoyed it. <laughs> So that's that's kind of, and then you think, well, actually, to some people, if, it, if that had been a, another brand or I'd been having to do a Sunday where I went to talk to a lot of people about a product I wasn't really bothered and a sect of people I didn't really care about, then yeah. that might be a, a different kettle of fish. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Listen, Sam, thanks for your time. It's been fascinating talking to you. How can people get a hold of you? Where do people go? Go to Instagram. Pariah CC on Instagram or pariah.cc or go to pariah.cc, the website, https backslash or forward slash pariah.cc. And I am there. Cool, man. And Pariah is P-A-R-I-A because we obviously have to spell it, right? I'm straight. Yeah, <laughs> I'm straight. Listen, it's great been talking to you. Thanks, Sam. Really appreciate your time, bud. Thank you. 
My thanks again to Sam Morgan for just being totally open, right, in sharing about the challenge to raise the brand's profile, to get that exposure and the importance of positive cash flow to keep the business running and smooth, uh, running smoothly. He didn't leave anything out, did he? I mean, he was super, super open, and I really, really appreciated that about Sam. Make sure you check out his website, pariah.cc. Uh, he has got some great stuff on there. Go ahead, order it, check out his Instagram, see what he's doing on there and follow it. What can you learn from what he's doing? Because he's killing it on Instagram, right? Thanks again, Sam. Really appreciate it. Uh, And if you are a fan of today's podcast, if you've enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. It is free and the show is full of great stuff about how to set up, run and grow your own e-commerce business. So make sure you subscribe to keep up to date. If you can, share the links with friends. It's really helping us get the word out there and connect with more people, which is fantastic. Like I said at the start of the show, this is a new-ish podcast. Um, uh, well, this is episode eight, so it's definitely, we're only eight episodes into it. Uh, but already we've got some great feedback. So uh, really, really appreciate your comments, guys. Keep them coming. Keep sharing it. And if you get a chance, I'd really appreciate uh, you taking the time just to give us a quick review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Five-star reviews. Definitely, definitely appreciated, but honest reviews are appreciated even more. Okay, so uh, like I said at the start, all the show notes, all the links, uh, including to Sam's website, are going to be on my site at mattedmondson.com. You can check it all out there and connect with me on social media. I'm killing it on Instagram at the moment, loving it over there. So join me uh, on Instagram. Just search for Matt Edmondson. You'll find me. I'm there. In fact, it's instagram.com forward slash Matt Edmondson. Couldn't be easier. (laughs) Okay, thanks for listening, my fellow e-commerce entrepreneurs. And I'll be back soon with some more help and advice on how to do e-commerce. Until next time. You've been listening to the Curiosity Podcast with Matt Edmondson. Subscribe and join us next time as we carry on conversations about all things e-commerce and digital business.